Hello and welcome to Bible 101. We're going to continue our series on the book of Matthew. The last lesson we talked about Matthew chapter number 1. Now we're going to talk about Matthew chapter number 2. Before I begin, let me just go ahead and announce that this Saturday night, about 8.30, we're going to be doing another roundtable discussion. And this time, we're going to be answering more doctrinal questions. And trust me, you'll want to tune into this one because um, it's questions that's going to challenge each of us that are involved with it. So I think you'll find it quite interesting. All right, let's begin our lesson on the book of Matthew, chapter number 2. But before we begin, I want to say a word of prayer. Jesus, I'm asking you, Lord, to use me today to anoint me. God, anoint the ears of every hearer and help them to hear. Lord, bless this Bible study, Lord. Let it reach many souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew, chapter 2. Before I begin, let me just say this. It is important to note that Matthew is not an exhaustive biography of Jesus. It does not give us the details of his raising or his early youth. Matthew is only interested in presenting the virgin birth and the miraculous circumstances involved in his earthly life. Uh, and then he moves on to the teachings and ministries of Jesus. It is also important to realize that Matthew starts chronological but does not always follow a chronological pattern. We discussed a little bit of that last time. The first chapters are chronological and then it will be arranged by theme, only moving back to chronological format when recording the last days of Jesus' life and death, and finally his resurrection. This is why there appear to be differences in the Gospels, chronologically speaking. None of the Gospels follow a strict chronological pattern, and so it is sometimes difficult to put things in a strict order. So throughout chapter 2, we will notice a reoccurring theme. Pagans, foreigners, and the poor will recognize the Messiah's birth, but the majority of pious Jews will completely miss it. That's a very important theme in the book of Matthew. Let's read Matthew chapter 2 at verse number 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. First thing I want to point out is that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Bethlehem was a village about five miles south of Jerusalem. It means house of bread. This is David's hometown. He does not mention the events in Nazareth in detail like Luke does because he is focusing on Bethlehem as the birthplace of King David. Remember, Jesus, he's going to present Jesus as that Davidic ruler that's going to sit upon the throne of David forever. And secondly, notice that uh, he said, in the days of Herod the king. This is talking about Herod the Great. He was a friend of Mark Antony, and he later pledged his support to Caesar Augustus. Because of this, he was given authority to rule over the Jews, but religious matters were left to the Pharisees and Sadducees. He built many beautiful structures, and he rebuilt the temple for the Jews. But the Jews despised him because he was part Edomite and was not a legitimate king of the Jews. Uh, in fact, if you go back to the law, uh, I believe it's in, written in the book of Deuteronomy, he predicted, Moses predicted that one day you're going to want to set a king over you. And he said, when you do this, make sure he's somebody of your own people. Don't set a foreigner over you. So really, Herod was not a legitimate ruler. Uh, because of this, he was paranoid that his throne would be taken away from him. He ruled from 37 to 4 BC, thereabouts. Um, the third thing I want you to notice is there came wise men from the east. Now it's debated where these wise men came from and how many there were. Nowhere in scripture does it mention that there were only three wise men. 
This is derived from tradition and speculation because there are only three gifts presented to the Jews, or, or excuse me, presented to Jesus. Uh, it is believed that they came from Persia or Babylon, because he mentions that they came from the east, and it's also believed that they were astrologers familiar with Jewish scriptures because of the Jewish population in Persia and Babylon. Remember that the Jews have been taken uh, captive excuse me, to Babylon and then obviously to uh, the Medes and the Persians when they took over the, uh, the, uh, the ruling there. And um, notice it says uh, magi, calls them magi from the east. The Greek word for magi was used in ancient literature to refer to a priestly class in Persia. It's possible the magi were Zoroastrian magicians, uh, and you could do a little bit more research on what Zoroastrianism is all about. Uh, there's quite a bit to it, uh, and I'm not going to get into all that. And it's either believed this, or or this is either believed, or uh, that they were influenced by Babylonian practices. It was common for astrologers to relate events in the sky to political events on the ground. There was a strong Jewish community in Babylon and later in Persia that may have influenced the Magi. Okay, so that, that came from a commentary that what I just quoted. Um, they somehow connected the birth of the Messiah with the star that appeared supernaturally. Now, you may wonder, uh, why were they looking for a star specifically, and how did they associate this with the Jewish scriptures? Well, this goes back to Balaam's prophecy in the Old Testament book of Numbers. Let's read Numbers chapter 24 and verse number 17. Balaam, obviously, there's something you need to know about Balaam. Balaam was uh, a sorcerer. In fact, they found a plaque. Uh, I found this in the Archaeological Study Bible. They found a plaque of Balaam's, and it, it, and it called him a sorcerer. So he was definitely a sorcerer. In fact, if you look back at, um, I, I want to say it's in the book of Joshua, where it talks about the lands that they had conquered. And when it mentions the war with Moab, it mentions the fact that they killed Balaam, uh, that practice divination. So it's very, very clear Balaam was a sorcerer. However, that does not mean that his prophecies were not accurate and true because when he attempted to curse the people of Israel, God did not allow him to curse him, but he moved upon Balaam to speak certain prophecies. Now that may be difficult for you to understand why God would move upon a sorcerer, but uh, God has his means and God can do as he sees fit to do. He is the potter, we are the clay. Uh, he can seek to, to form the clay whatever way he wants to. But look at this prophecy in Numbers chapter 24 and verse number 17. Balaam speaks this. He says, I shall see him, but not now. So we know this is a futuristic prophecy. Going back to it, it says, I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now notice what he says here. He says there's going to come a star out of Jacob... All right, and then he says a scepter, so associating the star with a scepter, obviously scepter speaking of king, shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and shall uh, and destroy all the children of Sheth. Well, we know obviously that was fulfilled uh, that the Moabites were destroyed. But you might say you might say uh, what was the star that these magi saw? Now obviously they associated this star with the Jewish scriptures. And notice that this star announced the birth of this king that was prophesied that would rise out of Israel, uh, more specifically, uh, and then out of, uh, of course, um, uh, the Jews. And then uh, let's, let's look a little bit about what this star might have been. 
This comes from a commentary. It says, Much effort has been made in recent scholarship to identify the appearance of the star with a comet or with an alignment of the planets inside a particular constellation. However, no scientific theory fits perfectly with the biblical narrative. In the Christian document called the Arabic Infancy Gospel, the star is said to have been an angel. This fits with the role of angels in the wilderness wanderings. You can see, for example, Exodus 23.20. I, I believe it's very, very uh, clear uh, that this is an angel. Um, and just to read that scripture they refer to there, Exodus 23.20 says, Behold, I sent an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. I think it's clear that it's an angel because the Bible says that this star moved and actually, at one point, stood over the house where Mary and Joseph were. So I believe it's clear that this star was an angel. And, and uh, sometimes in scriptures, they are referred to as stars. Okay, moving back to this. Uh, in fact, uh, if in, I don't have it in front of me. Let, let me see if I could find this quickly. Please pardon me. Sometimes I, I do things on the spur of the moment, and I don't have it recorded in notes or anything. But uh, I'm going to actually look this up, because in the book of Revelation, it talks about symbols and uh, I want to talk a little bit about that. Let's go to Revelation chapter number 1. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, I believe it's near the end of this chapter. Let's see if we could find it. Yes, verse number 20. Revelation 1 and 20 says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. This isn't the first time that angels and stars are related in Scripture. So, uh, because he sees the star appear, this star appeared... And you could say it's a constellation, you could say it's an alignment of, of planets, you could say whatever you want to say, uh, but I believe it's quite clear in Scripture that the star moved, and it moved over the house, so I believe it is an angel. Okay, you, you may uh, ask, why would God appear to magi from the east, men that were uh, into astrology? There's a difference between astronomy and astrology. There's a difference between just studying the stars uh, and also, uh, uh, on the flip side, studying the stars uh, to determine the movement of the heavenly bodies and announcements for things happening on the earth. Well, these guys were into something that was condemned in Scripture. But uh, one thing I do want to point out is the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. This is the main qualification for being filled by God's righteousness. You must be hungry and you must be thirsty. Uh, it may not matter what somebody's current belief system is. If they are hungry and thirsty for truth, they can, notice what I'm saying here, they can be filled. I'm not saying God approves of certain practices and he didn't approve of what these wise men were doing, but obviously there was some type of a hunger and thirst in their hearts uh, so much so that they traveled all the way from the east to come down uh, to see this king and to worship him. And they didn't come empty-handed. They came with gifts. Uh, obviously, in the law, it talks about when you come before the Lord your God, you shall not come empty-handed. These men didn't come empty-handed. Okay, so it's, I believe that uh, that's a sign that they had studied the law. It wasn't just, uh, you know, they didn't just stumble on this scripture by accident. Uh, I believe that they were studying the Jewish scriptures. There obviously was a hunger inside of them. Maybe it didn't drive them away from their, their practices, in fact, it, which was condemned in the law. But uh, obviously there was something inside of them that was hungry and thirsty for righteousness, and God allowed them to be led to the Jewish Messiah. What happened to them after this? We don't know. Uh, maybe I'll get into that a little bit more here later. Um, 
it, if somebody's really hungry, I pray for them uh, to to be able to pray that prayer in sincerity. Jesus, if you're real, show yourself to me somehow. There's been many, many occasions where I've heard of testimonies of people saying I was an atheist or I was uh, I was Muslim or I was Catholic or I was something else, and and I prayed, Lord. Uh, lead me to the truth. Show me what the truth is. If you're real, if you're really out there and uh, you're still active in our world today, God, show me. Uh, show me you're active. And I believe that many, many, many times God has revealed himself to such a person, but first they had to be open uh, to the moving of God's spirit. They had to be open to his existence. I believe that even if an atheist uh, prays, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. If he's sincere, God will. But if he prays sarcastically, if you're really out there, God, show yourself to me. God's not going to reveal himself to somebody like that. Uh, they, they must have uh, an openness. And we will see this played out in the life of Herod the Great. Now, we cannot be sure of exactly the beliefs of these wise men, but the point is clear that they are Gentile heathens. They possibly practice black magic, but they recognize the birth of the Messiah while the Jews were totally clueless. This points back to Jesus' genealogy. So you see the connection here that goes throughout the book of Matthew. This is pointing back to chapter 1 where it mentioned Gentiles and it mentioned women. Uh, and, and obviously in the end we're going to see that uh, Jesus appeared to a woman uh, and he appeared to women. Uh, but um, it, it mentions that. But Jesus was not just the Savior of Abraham's natural children. He would bless all the nations of the earth through the seed of Abraham. Genesis 22:18. Jesus, uh, or excuse me, God speaks to Abraham and he says, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Isaiah 49 and 6 says, And he said, it is, is it a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel? I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mightest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. So pagan wise men traveled all the way from the east because they connected the star with the messianic birth. Yet the Jews lived right next door to Jesus, and they knew the scriptures. We're going to see that here in just a moment. They knew the scriptures, but they completely missed it. Now let's read Matthew 2 and 2. Saying, these are what the wise men said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Notice that they came to worship the king of the Jews. He was not their king per se, but they obviously sensed that he was more than just a king of a foreign nation. These Gentiles were displaying great faith. Notice that they came to Jerusalem because they had seen from a distance his star in the east. They figured if there was a king of the Jews, he would be in Jerusalem. Now, Herod was the king of the Jews technically, but he was not the king they were looking for. Verse 3, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod was troubled because he was paranoid about losing his position to a legitimate king. Jerusalem was troubled uh, probably because Herod was troubled, also because they did not understand what was happening. The religious leaders of that day were also troubled because the coming of the Messiah could topple their corrupt religious and political system. Now, Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not uh, the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Now this is a quotation from Micah 5 and 2 but, that says this, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, 
Uh, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. I want you to notice that phrase, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. This tells us that Jesus was not an ordinary prophet. He was the eternal God now manifested in flesh. Once again, Matthew 1.23, God with us. It is ironic that the priests and scribes knew where the Christ would be born, but they missed his arrival. Pagan Gentiles are traveling all the way from the east, possibly as far out as Persia, to worship him. But these Jews know exactly where he is to be born. When Herod said, tell me where he's going to be born, they said, oh, Bethlehem. They knew the scriptures, but they're totally missing the point here. Now let's read Matthew 2, 7 and 8. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. You would have think the Jews would have called the wise men aside and asked them direct questions and even joined them in their quest and in their journey. But it was Herod who was interested But he was interested for all the wrong reasons. Now here's an Edomite taking the prophecies of God seriously, but the Jews are not taking it seriously. Uh, Now later he will determine the age of Jesus by the date that the wise men revealed to him here. Now let's stop here long enough to compare Herod's apparent interest in the Messiah against the genuine hunger of the wise men. The wise men came to worship Jesus. Herod said he wanted to worship But his interest was driven by fear and paranoia. Let's read verses 9 through 11 of Matthew 2. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him, uh, presented, excuse me, unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. That's why some people believe there were only three wise men because there were three gifts. But um, it didn't matter the number of the wise men. That's not what I'm going to get into here. The wise men left the palace at Jerusalem where one would naturally find a king and were led by the star, again, proof that this wasn't no ordinary star, it was an angel, to a humble little house in a town called Bethlehem. While Herod sat on the throne at his royal palace in Jerusalem, Jesus was born in a stable and then later taken to a little house. Uh, Here he was in a house. Uh, this is unlike nativities you see today. Oftentimes you see the wise men and the shepherds coming to see Jesus in the manger, but that's not biblically accurate. Uh, when they came, we know that he was actually in the house, and, and we'll see later that he wasn't just a baby. Um, he lived with a poor carpenter and his wife. Now the wise men worshipped him. What the, the, the magi saw both the child and his mother, uh, but their worship was for him alone. Now, I want to present this uh, to some of our Catholic friends out there, and and, uh, let me just kind of present this to you. You know, obviously, they believe that Mary is an intercessor, and oftentimes they will pray to Mary's statue, asking her to make intercession on their behalf, which is ironic because the Bible says we only have one high priest and we only have one intercessor. But notice what it says. Let me read it again. Matthew 2, verse 11. When they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with 
Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Not them, him. They did not worship Mary. They did not present uh, uh, this worship to Mary. They presented it only to Jesus. This tells us Mary was not divine. Uh, They call her Mary, mother of God. But uh, I, I believe it's, it's, it's more important to put it this way. I, I understand what they mean in a sense of the word, but we don't worship Mary. It, never will you ever find a single occasion in Scripture, not in Scripture, where Mary was worshipped by anyone. Nobody worshipped Mary. Nobody knelt before Mary. Nobody bowed before Mary. But they did bow before Jesus, and they did worship Jesus. Okay, let's get back to it. Notice they presented unto him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, bringing gifts was particularly important in the ancient East when approaching a superior. You look at Genesis 43, 11, 1 Samuel 9, 7 through 8, 1 Kings 10 and, and 2. Frankincense is a glittering, odorous gum obtained by making incisions in the back of several trees. Myrrh exudes from a tree found in Arabia and a few other places and was a much-valued spice and perfume used in embalming. Gold was a gift fit for a king. Remember, Matthew presents Jesus as king of the Jews. So here it is again. Gold fit for a king. They bring gold. He focuses on that. They come to worship him as a king. Uh, And then frankincense was a gift for a priest. Uh, Lastly, myrrh, though it is debated myrrh is believed to be used to anoint someone's body for burial. This is a gift for a Savior. So notice in these three gifts, we see Matthew's focus here on Jesus. He presents Jesus as king, gold. They bring unto him gold, gift fit for a king. They bring unto him frankincense. Well, Jesus is our high priest. This is a gift for a priest. Lastly, myrrh, a gift for a Savior. So Matthew's focusing on uh, uh, Jesus as king, Jesus as priest, also Jesus as Savior. Thank God. Um, Now, Let's look and and just see. Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews 6 and 20 says, uh, Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It is debated who or what uh, Melchizedek was. He is mentioned in the book of Genesis as the priest of Salem. Uh, You can read that in Genesis 14, 18 through 20. Um, The purpose in this study is the book of Matthew. So I'm not going to go too deep into the study of Melchizedek. Uh, but uh, he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek is what the scripture says. I only want to point out a few little aspects here. He had no genealogy. You can read that Hebrews 7, 1 through 3. Abraham recognized Melchizedek as greater than himself because he paid tithes to him. Hebrews 7, 4 through 7. Whatever Melchizedek was, he was certainly a type of Jesus Christ and he was greater than Abraham. Well, remember, uh, he, he presents, Matthew presents Jesus as a son of Abraham, but he presents him as greater than Abraham. He presents him as a son of David, yet greater than David. All right, you see how many beautiful things are found in the book of Matthew, and, and so many times we do just kind of a cursory, cursory glance over the book of Matthew, but there's so much depth to this book. That's why I wanted to go into a very deep study of the book of Matthew. Jesus is born of a virgin, just like Melchizedek says, we don't find father and mother. Jesus is born of a virgin, uh, but he was also the firstborn of every creature. You can read that Colossians 1.15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So Jesus' genealogy can be traced through his human line, but as God, his genealogy is untraceable because he had no beginning. 
uh, that's one type there. Another type is Melchizedek was the priest of Salem, peace. Well, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Consider the announcement of Jesus' birth by the heavenly host. Luke 2, 13-14. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Jesus did not bring a worldly peace. Matthew 10, 34, he says this, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. He came to bring a peace that could keep someone even in the midst of worldly chaos. John 14, 27, Peace I live with you, my peace, Jesus speaking, I give unto you. Not as this world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through uh, Christ Jesus. Jesus gives us peace in the midst of our difficulties. We recognize that he will take care of us in the midst of our trials and troubles. Third thing I want to bring out is Melchizedek was a priest. Jesus is high priest of us all. The beautiful aspect of Jesus' priesthood is that he can identify with our suffering. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, so let's get back to the lesson now. Uh, as priest, he received a priestly gift. Frankincense is reason used ceremonially for the only incense permitted on the altar. Uh, Exodus 30 and 9 says, You shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall you pour drink offering thereupon. Exodus 30, 34 through 36 says, And the Lord sent unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, uh, Stacia and Annika and Galbanum, these sweet spice pure frankincense, and each shall, be, uh, shall there be uh, a like weight. And thou shalt make it a perfume and confection after the art of the apothecary, temperate together, pure and holy, and thou shalt beat some of it very small and put it before uh, the testimony of the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy. Myrrh was the gift of a Savior. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Matthew 1.21 uh, says they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19 and uh, 10. Uh, and 1 Timothy 1.15 says Jesus Christ has come to the world to save sinners. He had to die in order to save us. Romans 5.10 For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. Hebrews 9.22 And almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. Remember throughout the book of Matthew that Jesus is king, priest, and savior. Also these gifts were likely used providentially to support the family on their flight to Egypt. Remember, they were very poor. In order to make such a journey, it would be very expensive. Well, this could help finance their trip. All right. Uh, you can note the very careful attention to detail from these wise men. True worship will cost you something. Uh, on the other hand, while these pagan Gentiles were able to see the Messiah and worship him, Herod would never be able to see Jesus perform a single work. Matthew 2 and 12 says, And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Hang on, let me back up just a minute before I move on. Um, the fact that their worship allowed them uh, to see Jesus, uh, but Herod 
would not see Jesus until the end uh, of, of, uh, of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus would not perform for him any mighty work because his worship, uh, obviously we, we understand this is a different Herod. I understand all of that. But uh, going down through the family line, uh, you know, like father, like son, like, you know, like family member. Um, and, and so in this case, this man never, this Herod, Herod the Great, never laid eyes on Jesus one time because his worship was not sincere. If you want to see Jesus, you've got to offer unto him true worship, true praise, and true worship will cost you something. Don't come empty-handed. Bring a gift before him. Uh, uh, bring him your sacrifice. Bring him a sacrifice of praise. One scripture talks about the sacrifice, the fruit of your lips. All right, Matthew 2 and 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed under their own, own country another way. God knew Herod's heart. Though Herod said that he had wanted to worship Jesus, God knew his true motives. Your motives will determine whether or not you will ever see the truth. Are you truly searching for truth, or do you just want to justify yourself in your present condition? All right, let's go back to Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, uh, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now there's several things I want to talk about. Uh, Joseph was warned of God in a dream. Well, maybe you'll remember another Joseph in the book of Genesis that God spoke to through dreams. So here again, we see another type. Uh, Jesus is going to fulfill a lot of prophecy scripturally, but he's also going to fulfill types and shadows. Well, he had a father whose name was Joseph. Uh, this Joseph was led by dreams, just like the Joseph in the Old Testament. Okay, and then uh, notice something else here. He quotes this passage and he says, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now this is a passage that's quoted uh, from Hosea 11 and 1. It says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. This is obviously referring to the nation of Israel. Yet as the Messiah, Jesus will relive the events of Israel, but he will succeed where they failed. We're going to see more of this in future chapters. So definitely, you'll want to stick with us because you're going to uh, learn a ton. I, I, I've been blessed just going through this study. Uh, they stayed too long in Egypt, even though Joseph warned them that they should not, they did not belong there permanently. And I'm not going to take time to read that, but Genesis 50, uh, verses 24 through 26. Um, they stayed too long, and Pharaoh came into power, who did not know Joseph, and so he made them slaves. We know that. And there are a lot of parallels uh, between that story and what we're about to read here in the book of Matthew. But I'm, I see here I'm going to have to go ahead and stop. We're already at 30 minutes. So thank you so much for listening. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity we've had to study the Word of God. Lord, I'm asking that you would please continue to bless this series on the book of Matthew. Let it reach souls that are truly hungry, God, like the wise men. Help us to be hungry for you, hungry for your Word, not to come empty-handed, but to truly worship you. And not be like Herod, who did not truly seek to worship you. He professed worship with his mouth, but he was not honest in his heart, because God, you know the hearts. And please touch us and minister to us according to what that which is in our heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening, and please remember our roundtable discussion on more doctrine, question, and answers this Saturday about 8.30. We're going to be doing it live. Thank you.